Well, good morning to each of you here this morning, and uh, I, I trust and pray that, uh, uh, that you know, I've been really enjoying trying to go through these messages in the book of Romans. I hope that uh, whether you've been here uh, for each and every message or whether you've listened online or uh, maybe you're just now, uh, you know, getting here to this, <laughs> to this part of this, uh, but I trust that these, me- this, these messages would be a blessing to you. Uh, what we've tried to do, and I think uh, as we start this morning, we'll be going into the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And once again, just like we mentioned back several weeks ago now, when we were making a transition from Romans 8 to Romans 9, Romans 9 uh, Paul once again makes a little bit of a shift in, in how, what he's addressing in this part of the book of Romans. And up until now, he's been really addressing the conflict that's going on between the Jews and the Gentiles at this church at Rome. Uh, addressing really in a big broad scale, trying to bring them all down to a common a common denominator, if you will, to realize they're all sinners, whether they've had the law or not had the law, whether you've been a, a Jew that's been raised up in the, and known about God and known about the law, the law, and you've become, in their sense, in many ways, maybe very legalistic, thinking that uh, if you don't do it the way we do it, if you don't, uh, you might worship Christ, but you've also got to add tenets of the law to your worship. Uh, and so Paul had to bring them all back down to a common place uh, that they were sinners, uh, that they were justified and, and, and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then this whole theme that he's been going through uh, the book of Romans of about walking by faith. Uh, the just shall walk by faith. And how the, the Gentiles themselves, even though they didn't have the law, God had written in the new birth, had written his laws in their hearts and their minds. And by faith that now was in them through the new birth... They had followed after the things of the law and after righteousness, even though they didn't have the law themselves. And so Paul has really driven all these points home to them. And then he makes in this last part of the, uh, the, after he's talked about the fact that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Uh, and that, uh, and, and then going over into the ninth chapter and talked about how God chose uh, a people and how he elected uh, a people and, uh, and so forth there in the, in the ninth chapter. Uh, move on over into 10 uh, and 11. But in 11, he gets to the point where he talks about these Gentiles have been blessed because they were wild olive branches, if you will, and through the fall of the, of the Jews. And when I say fall, he emphasized over and over again. I, I certainly don't, if somebody out there, wherever, might would hear this message, I certainly don't want them to think that I believe God no longer has a people among the, the Jews. Paul himself says, uh, have they fallen? Uh, have they fallen fully away? And he says, "God forbid, I'm a Jew." Uh, and he makes his case then and rested upon upon not only that, but he talks about what they have fallen away from. They've fallen away from the nourishment and the sustenance that me and you and all of God's children get when they're grafted into that olive tree and they're actually getting that spiritual nourishment that they need week to week. And he says they've been broken off that you might be grafted in. But he also then warns the Gentiles, don't you get lifted up in pride and think, and I think there, there must have been an issue with that at the, at the church here at Rome, that uh, while you had the Jews that were over there saying, we're better than you because we had the law. Then you had the Gentiles over there saying, yes, but we've been grafted in and y'all have all been cut off. Uh, and uh, so there was a pride factor maybe going on with them and he's addressing both of them. 
and, and letting them know that while the Jews uh, have been somewhat blinded as a, as a result of God's judgment on them, just, just as God made called, uh, caused judgment on the uh, Jewish people in the days of uh, bringing the Babylonians in and occupying uh, Israel and the people being taken down into, uh, into uh, uh, Babylonian captivity, uh, now when he sent his son... And boy, you could go back, and we did here a few weeks ago. Looked at one of the parables of the of the of the vineyard owner who left the vineyard in the in the hands of the uh, uh, of his servants, and he went away to a far country, and he periodically sent people along the way to check on the vineyard. And they killed this servant, and they killed that servant. And he says, well, I'll send my son to check on them. Uh, and they killed the son. Uh, and so he was foretelling about what, what the Jewish people were doing with this vineyard, this kingdom that God had given them, uh, and, and, and talking about that. And, uh, and he tells this uh, in, the, uh, in the 11th chapter of the, uh, of the book of Romans, uh, how that while these natural olive branches have been broken off and the, and the wild olive branches, talking about the Gentiles, have been grafted in, he says, you Gentiles don't get so, uh, so boastful and so proud that you think, well, hey, we've got it now and you don't because he says if God broke off the natural branches, he can also break you off. And we made a point of trying to emphasize uh, some people have taken the breaking off the olive branches and the grafting into the olive branches and tried to turn this into, uh, well, they were grafted into eternal salvation. Not what's under consideration here. Uh, God, uh, the Bible plainly tells us all the way back there in Romans 8 uh, that whom he did foreknow, them he did also predestinate. And whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. And he said, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And he goes on in uh, that same 8th chapter and emphasizes that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Jew or Gentile, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But you know what? You can be broken off so that you're not getting... Uh, and, and the reason the branches, the Bible tells us here in, in, the, in Romans 11, the reason those branches were both broken off was not because he was casting them into the everlasting you know, burning fires of hell. They were broken off because of their unbelief. The children of Israel were not allowed to enter into Canaan's land after they came out of Egypt. Why? Because of unbelief. And unbelief is not the unpardonable sin, okay, or the unforgiven sin that's out there. God forgives unbelief just like he forgives uh, many of our other sins and issues that we have in our life. Uh, but they were broken off. What does that mean? It means they were no longer, he, tell, he goes on and tells us. I'll just read the end of the 11th chapter because I'm going to 12. Uh, and as he, as he, he says, uh, in verse 26, he says, So all Israel shall be saved. And again, we emphasize the definition of who Israel is. Israel uh, is, a, is, a, is not natural Israel, but Israel is uh, God's chosen people, uh, those who are uh, like, uh, like Isaac was, promised children. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, they're the promised seed of God. And so he says, So all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Sion a deliverer, and he shall uh, turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's Romans uh, eleven twenty six. 26. 
For this is my covenant with them when I shall take away their sins. God, he says, I shall take away their sins. Who? Israel. Uh, uh, talking about spiritual Israel, Jews and Gentiles who are children of God. Uh, and he says, this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel. Now, he's talking about these Jews, these branches that had been broken off. He says, as concerning the gospel... They are enemies for your sakes. They, they, had, they were working against, fighting against the, uh, the church, the New Testament church that was being formed there. <coughs> they had been blinded. He says, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. God had not cast them away. God, and even though they were enemies against the gospel, even they were, though they couldn't see that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that had come, the one that had been promised all these years, he says, they may be enemies for the gospel's sake, but they're beloved for the Father's, for election's sake, by the Father. It's for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Now, we'll get into gifts a little bit more, uh, but uh, here I think he's specifically talking about the gift of eternal life is without repentance from God. And that makes sense. Uh, we've, we've talked about uh, many times there are those among the Christian people that are out there teaching uh, that you can lose your salvation. Well, if you could, if you could lose your salvation and it, if your salvation is eternal life, then you got to do a little word thinking here, you know, just a little bit. If eternal life could be lost, then it wasn't eternal. Uh, and so uh, uh, you, you've got to actually stop and pause and think just a little bit about what, what the Scriptures teach. But he says, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't give you eternal life and then turn around and take it away from you. Can you lose the joy of your salvation? I say amen, you can. You can lose, you can lose the, uh, the, uh, gospel, uh, the joys of the gospel through unbelief. You can lose uh, the sustenance, the spiritual nourishment that we need as God's children by fleeing away from these things of God. <clears throat> and we'll talk about that a little bit, about this being transformed versus being conformed to the, uh, to the world as we get into Romans 12. But he says, The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, talking about the Gentiles, yet, now, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy <clears throat> they also may obtain mercy. So our job is to be merciful to those that are around us and try to, by our life, by our conduct, by the preaching of the gospel, by the sharing of the message, to, let them, to, to allow them to obtain the same mercy and grace that you've received through believing and following after, after the things of God. So he says, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon them all. Who, who's the all? He's concluded all of, of the, uh, the world <coughs> in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all that were, in, that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so all that were in Christ, even, before, uh, uh, before their new birth, they were all in unbelief. Uh, uh, doesn't matter if you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, if you had the law, didn't have the law. Doesn't matter. They were all in unbelief that God, through Jesus Christ, that one who justified us, 
Uh, and didn't, he didn't just justify the Jews. He didn't just justify the Gentiles. Uh, in today's world, you say, he didn't just justify the white folks and the black folks. He did it all in one, my friends. Uh, so as we, were, as we look here, he says, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all, then listen how, and I, I finished on this last Sunday, uh, but I want you to then, as Paul gets to this concluding point here at the end of Romans 11, listen at the joy that he expresses when he, when he stops and thinks about what God has done. God, God has, cho- has considered all of us in unbelief that he might have mercy on all of us. And as he did this, he says, <coughs> Oh, the depth of the... <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given him to him and it shall be recompensed to him again? If it was you that had, uh, had decided one day that I'm going to confess, confess Christ uh, uh, so that I can get eternal life, God would have owed it to you. Uh, he says, who is first given to God? No, my friends, we love him because he first loved us. That's, a, that's part of the theme throughout all the scriptures. Uh, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, and or who hath first given to him that it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and forever. Uh, amen. So it, it, Paul ends this 11th chapter with a with a a, uh, a word of praise to God for his wisdom, for his amazing uh, love, uh, the fact that, uh, and, and I look back over, I wanted to almost turn, and I almost did this last Sunday, turn back over into the fourth chapter. Uh, Paul says, it's a faith that it might be by grace. Oh, and I tell you, the wisdom of the, the, the love of God and how he did all of this so that it might be effective, my friends, to each and every one of his children. He didn't just depend on the law. He's not just depending on the gospel. It's by the implanted faith of God through the new birth, my friends. That's how God works so that it might be by the grace of God and not by the glory of men and of preachers and of evangelists, uh, even the apostles. The glory wasn't to be to them. The glory was to be to God. And so Paul here gets to the end of this 11th chapter and says, Oh, the amazing grace of God and mercy of God. So he says, then he starts chapter 12, which is what we want to try to cover today if we can. He says, I beseech you, I beg you. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Uh, Who? I, I beseech you therefore Gentiles. No, he didn't say that. I beseech you therefore Jews. No, he didn't say that. I beseech you therefore brethren. He counts uh, all those at the church at Rome. And yes, this letter is written to Rome and we get the lessons of Rome uh, that uh, to the church at Rome from that. But I'll tell you, he's writing that to the church today too. And he's telling us, I beseech you, I beg you brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. <coughs> I know uh, I know. over the years, I've looked at this, and I've probably said this, don't tell how many times over the last 30 years or so of my, of my ministry, uh, made the comment, 
uh, that uh, it's reasonable and not unreasonable. Well, that's that's a good that's a good comment. But it was, as I was looking and studying on this, some um, you look and see this word reasonable actually means rational. <laughs> it's the rational, logical. It's the logos. It's the logical thing to do. Uh, what is it uh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice? Uh, you know, during the Old Testament, uh, uh, and this would have this would have particularly, I think, hammered home a message to those Jewish brethren that were there. He wasn't asking them any longer to go and make animal sacrifices in their worship service. He was asking them to present their bodies, themselves, uh, their persons. A living sacrifice. In other words, you don't have to crucify yourself. You don't have to uh, take animal sacrifices and do that. You just have to learn to live a self-sacrificial life, and that's and that's part of what <clears throat> that's part of what this whole twelfth chapter is about is is denial about denying self and about self-sacrifice and how you. And how you serve one another. We even get into this point. He talks about uh, the same point that Jesus made in the in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about loving our enemies. And I thought, and, I'll, and Lord bless me, I'll make a point out of that when we get to that. Uh, but it's so we. He wants us to not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so he, he goes on and says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. That means uh, as much as possible, I think, that we're to present ourselves as sinless. That word holy means sinless. Uh, uh, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your rational, your reasonable service. That's what God expects of us as his children who he has died for and saved and redeemed and blessed that we're going to be in heaven. Brother Derek was talking in the Bible study this morning about, you know, there, there's a part of us, I, I think, uh, and I know we enjoy life, but I'll tell you, uh, as we see our friends and our neighbors uh, die of the COVID or get sick or be in the hospital or whatever, or cancers that are afflicting various peoples that we know, uh, it causes each of one of us to maybe, I, I think, maybe pause for just a minute and, and think, you know, I'm looking forward to that day when sickness, sin, and disease, and trouble, and national elections, and people trying to uh, destroy the government of the United States. I'm, I'm longing for a day when I don't have to put up with that anymore. And the only way, only way that's going to come about is when I'm home with my Lord in heaven one of these days. Uh, and so there's a part of me that longs and looks for that day when I, I get to see that beautiful city uh, and get to walk uh, uh, down the streets where there is no sin, there is no sickness, there is no disease. Uh, uh, but in the meantime, uh, he says, uh, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. You know that what that word, conf word conformed means uh, is basically comes from a word that's like molded. Don't be molded or conformed to this world. Well, what does that, what does that look like today? Well, today, I'll tell you, uh, for these young folks out here, for some of the young folks, uh, uh, being conformed to the world says, hey, I don't have to get married. Uh, all I have to do is just move in with this young lady or this young man, uh, and we begin to, to live and uh, live like we're married. Uh, uh, but we're not. That's being, but, but that's not what God's Word teaches. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind Let's read the rest of it. The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable 
and perfect will of God. God's will, my friends, for you and me is perfect and it's acceptable, okay? Uh, uh, <clears throat> and we're to prove that. Who are we to prove it to? We're to prove it to ourselves. You know, I've, I've used this example a lot of times, uh, uh, and, and this goes back to something I heard my dad say years ago. And so young folks today, and even me, I'll have to say, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up having to, uh, uh, to plow behind a mule or anything like that. But during my dad's day, they didn't have tractors, and they didn't have rototillers, and they didn't have little bitty uh, things that they could use to tear up the garden with or whatever. And so they had to plow things. They had to plow the fields with a mule. And so, uh, you know, one mule would get old, and they'd go to, to try to get another one to try to plow with. And Daddy, Daddy used this terminology. And see, I'm a young boy, and I hear him talking about, you know, going out. And he says, we went down to the neighbor, and he had a, had a mule there that he was wanting to sell. And so we got him out in the field so we could prove him. Uh, well, what was he doing? He was test driving him, uh, if you will. He was taking him out to see if that, that mule would perform and do what they needed him to do. And today we do the same thing. We go out and test drive or prove a new car or we read all the reports about you know, the washing machines and refrigerators and uh, 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 clothes dryers or whatever. You know, we try to read all the reports and, uh, uh, before we go out and buy them because we want to prove to ourselves that that's going to be a good purchase or going to be a good buy. And so God tells us here, Paul, in this, in this letter to the book of Romans, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but have your thinking transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove to who? To yourselves uh, what is, a, what is the, uh, the, uh, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do you prove that God's will for you is better than, uh, than the world's way of doing it. You prove it by going out and doing it. Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, there's a lot of people today that if they could look back on their lives and they'd say, you know, God said, and, and I know I'm using certain examples here this morning, and we could use a, a thousand other things, but uh, uh, you think about God, God's way of doing things. You know, uh, what is God's way better? Uh, is God's way of training up children better than what the world says to do? Uh, uh, the world says, uh, why, just uh, don't, don't hurt their feelings. Uh, uh, don't uh, uh, don't uh, try to uh, uh, try conform them into the certain way of doing things and I'll tell you uh, our job as parents according to God's word is to train them up in the way that they should go uh, so that uh, when they're old uh, they'll, uh, they'll not, uh, not forget these things uh, and so our, our job is to train them up our job is to discipline them if necessary in order to train them up and so we're to understand that God's way of doing things is better than the world's way of doing things. And the only way you can actually understand that is to prove it to yourself by doing it. Okay? And so uh, uh, he says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove to yourselves what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And there's a lot of people today that, uh, that have raised up children. Uh, and uh, maybe, uh, maybe their children are now grown and they look back and say, you know what, I probably should have tried it God's way. Because look where my children are and what they're doing and what they, what they have done. I probably should have tried it God's way instead of doing it my way. Uh, and some people's way today is just to ignore the children. Uh, to let them go. Let them do. Uh, 
and, and not even try. They're, they're, uh, uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're, they turn them loose on the video machines uh, and, uh, and instead of saying, you know, let's spend some time together uh, and let's work together. And so they're, they're being conformed more to the world than they are being transformed by the renewing of their mind. Today, as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, our, our young people, and I, I, I tell you what, you know, growing up 40, 40 plus years ago as a teenager, uh, there was a lot of things we were confronted with in the 60s and the 70s and the things that were going on. If y'all don't know history, go back and read some of it. And there were a lot of, there were a lot of things that were going on in uh, the drug culture and the free love culture and all this stuff was coming out in our day and confronting us. But I'll tell you, it wasn't near as pervasive then uh, as it is now. It wasn't as near as prominent then as it is now. And people are being confronted that it's normal. For, for the for the young ladies to move in with the young men and not be married and it's uh no in in high school did I ever know anyone in my high school uh, that was thinking anything about being a transgender um, you know we'd have thought you know nothing and today that kind of stuff is going on regularly in our communities and then we see it on the news you've got people committing suicide. All of the things you are, you young folks are confronted with that that we that we didn't have to put up with, and how are you going to endure all of this? And and the answer is going to be being conformed to the world is not going to fix it. Being conformed to the world is part of the problem. Being conformed to the world is what's leading us down this path of our of our country being more. <coughs> more ungodly than it's ever been in the, in the history. It's being conformed to the world. It's what's causing the decline of the churches. Uh, it's what's causing the decline of spirituality, the decline of love, the decline of charity uh, in this world that we're living in. And so being conformed to the world's not working, folks. Uh, uh, we need to learn to be transformed uh, to, uh, in our thinking and by renewing our mind that we may prove to our... But you know what? You can't prove to yourself what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is if you don't read God's word and if you don't listen to the preaching and pay attention to what's going on uh, you know <clears throat> talking talking this morning uh, going off into the navy or whatever you know what so things thoughts like that going on with certain people that we know okay and uh, and maybe and, and I'll just say this uh, that nothing wrong with that serving our nation is a great thing but I'll tell you when you go off to serve your nation don't forget you're also a Christian uh, called of God uh, uh, that you're to walk in a way that maybe you set the example for those that are around you while you're there instead of being conformed to how the world's going to want you to think and what the world's going to want you to do and to be a Navy man uh, out there in the world doing all the stuff that the Navy men are doing, uh, uh, I'll tell you, we need to learn to think like God's Word. Why? <clears throat> There's a lot of people today that have a lot of unwanted children. <clears throat> You know, you know, you know why? Why did that happen? Because they got into relationships outside of marriage and they had children in ways that they shouldn't have been having children. And then, so they they've got the fix for it today, though. You just have an abortion, kill that little baby before it's ever born. See, being conformed to the world, being conformed to the world is killing, killing our, killing our future. 
killing, being conformed to the world is destroying a life. And then, then one, people wonder why life doesn't mean anything anymore and why people are, why you got 40 and 50 shootings a night up in Chicago. Why? Because life doesn't mean anything to those people and they haven't been trained to conform their mind to think that God, that life is precious. So he says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Be transformed in the way you think, in the way you look at this world, that you may prove to yourself what is that good. And I know I put yourself in there, but I think that's the implied meaning of that, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Everybody today, I've said this several Sundays now in a row probably, but today everybody wants to know, what's the will of God for my life? Well, if you want to know more about what the will of God is, get your mind into the Word of God and learn to live like the Word of God calls us. Because the big transition from Romans 1 through 11 to 12, 13, and 14 is starting to say, what does a walk of faith look like? Uh, he's beginning. He's he's been telling us that uh, the Gentiles and Jews should both be walking by faith. And the fact that the Jews weren't walking by faith, they were trying to justify themselves by their own works and by the deeds of the law. That's where they were missing the boat at. And he was calling them back to a walk of faith in this life. And he says, "Now then, you want to know what a walk of faith looks like? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body." Is a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, rational service that you may uh, uh, that you may uh, prove what is that, and that be not conformed to this world, but you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, then Paul says, he says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that's among you, <clears throat> this is so important. Because what he's about to say is a, a portion of Scripture that is widely misused by, by many out there today. And I want you to get this. Uh, we've talked about already, there, there are people that are walking by faith. Why? Because they've had God's laws written in their hearts and in their minds. And, and part of Galatians 5, and 23 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Faith comes by, you know, and not the argument that's made over there in Romans 10 where Paul is having this discussion with the folks at Rome, if you will, and there, there were those that were saying, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And, and he has to go on and say, but I say unto you. And so uh, he tells us here, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that's among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Uh, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man, to the, the, the measure of faith. I want to say to every man uh, among you, that's who he's talking to. He's talking to the church at Rome, and he's talking to God's children. God hasn't dealt to every man in this world a measure of faith. I can turn over to Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, I think it is, and I can t show you over there. Paul says, deliver me from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men 
have not faith. Uh, now, either Paul didn't know what he was talking about over there in 2 Thessalonians, uh, or we got to rightly divide what he means by as he hath dealt to every man the measure of faith here in Romans chapter 12. Uh, and uh, and uh, he's talking to those people that were at the church of Rome. He's talking to God's regenerate elect people that have faith, okay? So he says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Who is, who is the only people in this world uh, that can rationally, reasonably uh, be trans, uh, can, uh, cannot think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. That's somebody who has realized they're a sinner saved by the grace of God. Someone who has been born of the Spirit of God who can think soberly and rightly and justly about themselves. That's the ones that can, that can suddenly not think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. That is the calling uh, today in the world. What, what is one of the things that afflicts so many people are there not people in whether you're in school or whether you're in work all of us have encountered people that think they're better than everybody else I mean, let's, I, mean I can put it in I could put it in real nice terms but I mean, let's just tell it the way it is right there are people out there that we work with people that are our neighbors uh, and so forth and there are always this group of people that think they're better than other people and he tells us uh, especially in the church. I don't care. I could turn over to James chapter 3. He says, don't, uh, don't regard those that have the rings on their finger or the nice clothes more than you regard those that have the poor clothes and maybe don't have as much. Regard them all the same, okay? And he tells us, in the church in particular, but I think this goes out into our community service as well, uh, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Uh, but he says... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. You know, you know what, to, th to think soberly, uh, you know, what? You say, Brother Charles, you're fixing to say something. You say, Brother Charles, how do you know about this? Well, okay, we could go a lot. I read a lot. Now, plus, uh, plus I'm a sinner saved by grace myself. Uh, uh, so uh, let's just be honest about that too. And he says, uh, be, uh, be, uh, <clears throat> think soberly. So what is he saying? He's saying, don't think in, in, intoxicatedly. <laughs> you say, Brother Charles, is that a word? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, just tell, I'm just saying, uh, people, when people are intoxicated, how, how do they act? Well, some of them get a swagger like you ain't never seen, okay? Some of them think they are, are Superman on steroids, okay? And they think they can do anything. They can defeat the world. Uh, they've got a mouth bigger than you know who. Uh, and they can go to jawing and talking and, and carrying on. Uh, uh, and, and at that point in time, they are not thinking soberly about themselves. Uh, there are some people that uh, being, uh, uh, being intoxicated puts them to sleep. It just makes them fall over and want to take a nap. Uh, uh, well, uh, you know what? The problem with some of us today is God's children, uh, uh, instead of getting out and wanting to be alive and awake and serving God, we're too busy taking a nap. Uh, and some of us uh, uh, maybe are thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think uh, instead of thinking soberly. He's saying, you know what? You know what the first part of service to God is? Denying self. We could turn, I will, uh, we'll turn over to the 16th chapter of the book of, uh, uh, book of Matthew real quickly, uh, and we'll find there that uh, Jesus Christ himself uh, uh, talking, talking to those. He said, if any man uh, come after me, uh, let him deny himself uh, and take up his cross 
and follow me. What does it mean to deny? That's Matthew 16, 24. For whosoever will, be, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Self-denial. What does that mean? That means not doing everything that you want to do and sacrificing for others. So he tells us over here in Romans chapter 12, uh, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what's going to keep you thinking soberly? The faith that God has planted in your heart. That's what's really going to bring you back to a common way of being able to self-analyze, if you will, to, to examine yourselves and to look at yourselves and say, am I doing what I should be doing uh, as a human, uh, as, a, as a child of God? Am I doing what, am I acting the way I should be acting? Am I mouthing off with my mouth too much? Am I, am I uh, being angry too much? Uh, am I, am I uh, uh, being overreactive about things too much? What be think soberly, uh, don't think irrationally about yourselves. Uh, but he says, For as we have many, and, and then he brings it back to this, and we'll get into this a little bit. But he says, uh, as, as children of God, he says, Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one. Members of another. You know what? You know what keeps should keep us as God's children. You know what should keep us on an even keel, realizing it's not about me. It's not about me. I I am just a member of the body. Uh, I may, maybe I'm the little finger, <laughs> or maybe somebody said maybe I'm the little toe. <laughs> maybe I'm the appendix. You know, everybody's trying to figure out what the appendix does. Well, you don't. I'm not sure what the appendix does, but boy, when it gets messed up, it hurts. Uh, you sure realize it's still there. Okay, uh, there's parts of your body that you don't even realize are there that are functioning daily to help make you be able to walk, talk, breathe, move, live, and carry on. But he says, we're just members of the body. As God's children, we're not to exalt ourselves one above the other. Uh, you know, is the, is the hearing more important than the seeing? Uh, is the mouth more important to, uh, than, uh, than the hands uh, or the feet or the legs? Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, we need all of this together uh, uh, to be a, a functioning body. And I'm talking about a human body now. But he says, uh, for we as many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many, being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. You know, there's one thing that, that I would get out of this. And prophecy here, I think, you know, has many different meanings. Uh, it means foretelling the future. Uh, I believe that uh, that a preacher today can be can be a prophet. Uh, maybe God blesses them with extraordinary wisdom and insight. I think there's been times when, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm a prophet by any means, but I think there's been times and situations where where I have seen what was going to happen uh, to pe to people. Uh, and I was able to tell them and try to forewarn them uh, about what was going to happen. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, 
for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't matter the reason. You know, they weren't able. They weren't able to see uh, to see that. But prophesying is foretelling the future, and I can take God's word and read to you that Jesus Christ is coming back again, and then prophesy that confidently to you because of the word of God. So, if you've got the gift of prophecy, uh, and maybe you've been given some insight and wisdom, and I'm talking about individual members here among this body now, maybe you've been given some wisdom and insight to be able to. See See, you know, see the warning signs on the road, if you will, and, and forewarn your children or forewarn your friends or your relatives of things you see coming down the road and, and try to tell them, don't go down that part, down that road, down that, there's danger down there. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I know. I understand because I went down that trail one time in life and I made those mistakes. And so don't do that. It, it's not going to lead to a good place. And so you, you prophesy to them. Maybe God's given you uh, the ability to prophesy. But he says, you know what? Uh, a lot of times people will look at the, the preacher and try to exalt him into some great position in, in the church. And I'm telling you, do you know who the preacher is? The preacher's a member of the body. Yes. He's, a, he's a person. He's a sinner saved by grace. A person who's lived life uh, like many of you, Okay. And and made the mistakes, got all the you know, got all the ribbons and awards, and you know, for making the mistakes in life. And uh, as God has blessed me with a gift that He is not repented of, and called me into service to minister to God's people, then I try to share not only the wisdom of God, but I try to take in some of my experiences, some of my the wisdom God has given me, and mi and mix that in. Uh, to, to help make the lesson come home to you so that you can see God's Word in a living way. Uh, and say, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as I used to say, uh, uh, thinking about years ago, that, you know, I don't have to, there's some things I shouldn't have to prove to myself. You know what? I shouldn't have to prove, uh, uh, well, you know, this is kind of like a, a rough example or whatever, but, you know, take a, take a gun, shoot your, shoot your arm and say, whoa, that hurts. Well, uh, I, I, I saw where somebody did that one time, so I shouldn't have to go and do that myself to prove to myself that's a bad idea. Uh, you know, I shouldn't have to shoot myself in the foot to prove I'm going to end up being lame if I shoot myself in the foot, okay? Well, there's certain things, you know, where it says we need to prove God's word, but you know what? I don't have to do like Solomon did. Solomon tried to prove everything out there under the sun, whether or not it was true or not, and he ended up with... Uh, 700 wives and however many concubines and he had drank all kinds of wine because he's trying to prove to himself, well, will this really get you drunk or not? Well, guess what, Solomon, you're right. It will get you drunk if you drink. You know, so there's things that we don't have to prove to ourselves is my point. And uh, he says, uh, prophecy, he says, we're, we're all just uh, members, one of the body. God's given us different gifts. But you know what, the, you know what your, gifts, your gifts are given for? And the same thing my gift is given for, it's for the edification of the body. It's for the good of the body. I, you know, a lot of people have wondered sometimes, and I know I use this kind of example, but, you know, people say, well, you know, what's the big toe for? Well, you know what? You, you talk to somebody that's lost a big toe. He says, you know, you have a lot of trouble balancing yourself without that big toe. 
Uh, you know, and, and a lot of us, if we didn't have certain things, certain parts of our body weren't functioning. Uh, you know, they, they say you can take the appendix out. But you know what? That appendix is a garbage collector of some kind that works in there and collects various things in your body and, and filters out certain things. Uh, and, uh, and when it's not there, you're missing something. And I'll tell you, when parts of God's body, when part of parts of God's assembly are not here, you're missing something. And, uh, and, and so you're important. Uh, you say, well, I may not see what importance I play in the, in the household and in the body of Christ, in the body of God, in this local assembly. I'm telling you, you're an important part of it, whether you see it or understand it. And all of us ought to be trying to figure out what's your gift. Okay, and how am I contributing? And we'll talk about what some of these gifts are. He says, uh, uh, having then gifts differing according to the... Why does God give different gifts? Because it's the grace of God. You know, God knows what you're able to do versus what somebody else is able to do. Uh, if you had asked Charles 40 years ago, Brother Charles, are you able to be a preacher and a pastor? I said, no way. Uh, but God has blessed me with the strength and the courage and the wisdom. And I'm not saying I've done a good job either. But I'm just saying he's given me a, an ability to do something I didn't know I could do. Okay? And you have abilities that maybe you don't know and understand. And he says our ministry. Let us wait on our ministry. Uh, do you know that there, one of the gifts that many of you might have is just to minister to other people? You know, and and and, and 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 you know, not being a minister, uh, but being having a ministry of just helping other people. Maybe a text message to somebody in a time of need. Maybe a thoughtful phone call. Uh, maybe a visit sometimes, uh, or maybe other things that you do. Maybe taking food to somebody that stands in need of food that you know of. You're ministering to other people, and God says, if you're minister, if you have a gift of ministry of helping and doing that for other people, minister. Use it. Don't just sit back and do nothing with it. He says, uh, our ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Some people have, you know, one of the gifts given, uh, the, the Apostle Paul mentions in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians is the pastor-teacher. A pastor is also supposed to be a teacher, not just a shepherd of the flock, but a teacher of the flock. And so if you have a teaching gift, then use it. Teach people. Maybe you can share your experiences. Uh, uh, you know, I think about, uh, Brother Bucky, uh, uh, who has a, has experience of being uh, uh, outdoors, and Brother Todd uh, uh, having experience out there, maybe of hunting and uh, and working out in the out uh, outside, and uh, have survival skills, if you will. You've got you've got an experience and an ability to share something with somebody that some people don't have. I don't have that. I don't have I don't have that understanding that knowledge that certain people have. Uh, so if you've got it, share it, use it with other people, minister to other people, teach them. Uh, and he says, uh, "Or he that exhorteth on exhortation." What is exhortation? That word actually means encouragement. There are some people that are just natural encouragers. You know they are. They just something about them uh, they encourage you. And he says, if you have that gift of encouragement, encourage people. Go around and cheer people up. <laughs> I've known people that had the had the seem to have the gift of discouragement, uh, but I don't exhort you to use that to discourage other people. Uh, so he says, if you're ex he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Some people just have a gift of giving. They not only give of themselves, they give of their money, they give of their time, and and he says, you know, they're just able to do that. He says, if you have that gift, use it. Uh, you know, you might say, well, I'm so busy, I can't go and do this, this, and this. 
But God's blessed me with financial resources that I can give to help other people with my finances. So if you've got the gift of giving, uh, do it. With, he says, and do it with simplicity. You know, it's kind of like, I think it's like Brother Derek talking about the one that's out there praying on the, uh, you know, uh, the uh, mentioned there in Matthew 6. Uh, uh, they're praying, you know, publicly praying, making a spectacle on the street corners of themselves. He didn't say let your giving be done so that you can show everybody your giving. He says, do it with simplicity. Do it, in a, do it in a way nobody may ever know. You know, I was, I was reading some in the papers here the last few days about some of these secret Santas, if you will, you know. And I thought, what a, what, a, what a great thing that some people do. They recognize somebody in their neighborhood had a need, and they go up and they, they anonymously deliver that need to them. So that uh, uh, so they've got that gift of giving, and they do it simply. They don't do it to make a big show out of it. And he uh, and he goes on and says, uh, uh, "He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness." Now I'll tell you, there are some people that just naturally are more, more merciful to others. Uh, you know, more forgiving, have a more forgiving nature than other people. But he says, "You know what? If you have the you have the gift of mercy, do it cheerfully." Don't, don't do it begrudgingly. I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. Uh, you know, He says, you know what? You're going to forgive somebody? Do it cheerfully. Do it in the right spirit and the right attitude. Have mercy on them, uh, not because uh, 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 for any other reason than the fact God is, you know what God has done for you? God had mercy on you. Shouldn't we have mercy on others? And shouldn't we do it cheerfully? <laughs> I know all of this. We're to pattern ourselves after Jesus Christ. Can you imagine Jesus Christ going to the cross and saying, I'll have mercy on them, Father, but yeah, I'm not going to forget about it. No, I mean, that's not, what, that's not what he said. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the kind of mercy that you and I should think about more and more is, you know, they don't always know. There's people sometimes that retaliate against us. He gets on down here, he talks about vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay, saith. You know, a lot of times there are people that say, I'm going to get them back if that's the last thing I do. Well, you know what? Wrong spirit, wrong attitude. We're learning how to walk by faith. We're learning how to follow after what God's word teaches. So he says, uh, let he that ruleth do it with diligence. He that showeth mercy. You know, there are people that are just natural leaders. They have the ability to rule and lead and do, and, and, uh, and God's just blessed them, seem like, with that. He said, do it diligently. If God's blessed you with the ability to lead and do, there's always something that needs to be led around the church, around the body of Christ. There are things that somebody needs to take up the cross and, and lead, to, lead to march and lead the way. Do it. Uh, he says, do it diligent, uh, with diligence. Uh, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. Boy, there's a nice word. Uh, I use dissimulation all the time. No, uh, dissimulate, that means don't let it be false. You know, uh, among the body of Christ, let your love for one another be a true love. Can you imagine, can you, imagine you know, I think you use this as an example, you know, use marriage as an example. You know, you're out running around on your wife or your husband or whatever, and, uh, and you're thinking, uh, uh, is that a true love? <laughs> Uh, let love be a true love. Let, uh, let love in our among our members here be a true love. Don't, don't be fake. Uh, you know, I, I can stand here this morning and I can truly say this uh, whether, for those that are here, some that are not here, some that may be listening out there that, uh, that I don't even know about. But I can tell you, I love you. 
I care about you. I'm concerned about you. And I, 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 I want to be there to help you and do what I can in your life and strengthen you along the way. Let love be without dissimulation. But you know what? If I'm always out there, if I say that up here and then do nothing to show it, my love doesn't appear to be, be very true. Okay? So he says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. You know, that's interesting. For, you know, thinking about marriage here in this portion of Scripture. You know, over in Genesis, uh, he says, Leave father and mother and cleave unto your wife. Here he says, Abhor evil. That actually means hate evil. <coughs> if you're going to be not be conformed to this world... Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, one of the things we're going to have to get straight is we need to hate evil. I've been praying a lot lately. You know, I, I see more and more there's a, there's a you know, there, I know there's an evil working in this world. And I've been trying to pray more and more, Lord, let the light of your truth shine out on the evil. Let it, let it reveal the evil that's going on out there. Let people be able to understand there's evil taking place. Uh, there's things that are going on that are evil. Uh, let, let people, let God's children see it. Let your light of truth shine upon it so that uh, uh, people can truly see there's evil going on. Uh, and he says, uh, be kindly affectioned. Uh, let, let your love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that, that word cleave means to be glued. Uh, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Honor one another. Prefer, preferring one another versus everything else that's out there. That'll keep you from being conformed to the world. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. You know that uh, that word, and, that, and I may just I may draw some things to close and pick up back here next next Sunday. But he says, "Be fervent in spirit." You know that means to be on fire. Be on fire for the things of God. Be in fi on fire in your spirit. Uh, abhor evil. Hey, uh, uh, abhor evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another. And he says, "With brotherly love." In, in honor, preferring one another. You know, there's different kinds of love that are talked about here in these portions of Scripture, and I say different kinds of love. There's a moral love that's taught by agape, uh, the word agape love. <clears throat> then there's a brotherly love, which is like a brother and sister type love. Let us have brotherly love one to another. Let us love like brothers and sisters and like family here. And he says, uh, in honor, preferring one another. You know what it means to prefer one another? That means I'd rather see you get whatever than me. I'd prefer you above me. I'd rather, uh, I'd rather you get the, get the points, get the goals, get the, get the thing, rather than me. Preferring one another, exalting others above self. Self-denial again. Putting self down. And he says, not be slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. I go back when I saw this, this portion of Scripture, Rejoicing in Hope, it made me think about that in the 8th chapter of, the, of the, the book of Romans here where he says, we're saved by hope. Uh, but what is hope that is seen? It's not hope. He says, rejoicing in hope. You and I have something we can rejoice in. Are we rejoicing in it this morning? I don't, I'm not sure that we are. But he says, patient in tribulation, just uh, instant in prayer, continuing instant in prayer, 
distributed to the necessity of the saints, and given to hospitality. Boy, so if we put all of this list of stuff together, if we would begin to walk in these things here, I'll tell you, we would not be conformed to this world because the world doesn't act like this. The world doesn't act preferring one another. It's all about me. <laughs> uh, that's what the world says. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, and he tells us, we're not to be slothful, lazy about going about our service to one another. Don't be slothful in our business. Be fervent in spirit. My desire, and, uh, and I know this is true for Brother Derek as well, and, and I, I, I want y'all to see it in me. I want, I want to be this way, and I want to see you more. I want to see a fire kindled in you. A fire for God, a fire for love, a fire for His service, a fire for serving Him. May God bless you if you've, uh, if you've, and we haven't gotten through with this 12th chapter, but we'll start back again uh, in here because there's some places where I've stopped at. He's given quite a good list of things that we need to be working on. And it's not going to, these things are not going to save you, my friends, but they are going to keep you from being conform to this world so that you can be a light to those around you. And I'll tell you, your life will be better for it. And you'll be able to prove to yourself what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for you. And you'll see, you know what? It's better to live that way than it is all the ways that the world wants us to live and to act and to do. May God bless you to think about that during this coming week. We've kind of gotten away now from some of the doctrinal things that he talked about in chapters 1 through 11. Now he's talking about practical, godly living. May God bless you is our prayer.